Pastor Mark and I have spent the majority of the last six weeks um, talking about spiritual discipline and talking about the disciplines that uh, each one of us as disciples of Christ should be practicing at least at some level. Now, you know, I, granted, none of us are, you know, probably just tearing all this stuff up great. Um, I hope you're reading your Bible every day. I hope you're in the Word. I hope you're doing more than just reading. I hope you're learning to study the Word of God. I hope you're praying daily, multiple times a day. You're spending time in communication with the Father. You know, I would love to think that all of us are really good stewards of the things that God has given us. But the reality is that we probably struggle with some of those areas. We've been given gifts that we struggle with, whether that's the financial gifts that we have in stewardship or the spiritual gifts that we had in stewarding those. Um, I suspect most of us have a hard time with the thought of fasting, much less the actual action of fasting in some area. But, you know, as, as Pastor Mark preached on fasting, fasting isn't always just about not eating. Now, in that day and time, that was a primary function of fasting. They were able to do that. And I think it's something, obviously, all of us should learn to do. But fasting is not just going on a diet, as Pastor Mark so greatly preached to us. Fasting is taking something that is a necessity in your life, or at least a, a part of your everyday experience, Setting it aside intentionally to spend time with God. The key is spending time with God while you're not doing what it was that you would be doing. So as we kind of come towards the end of this series, what we want to talk about today is the fruit of a life that's lived in that manner. And yet I also think it is a spiritual discipline. Uh, I'm going to lay some groundwork for this um, because here's the truth. You've got to kind of understand this text that we're going to give. If you just take the verse, it's great and you can make it applicable, but you kind of need to look and see what God's talking about here. As we talk about these spiritual uh, disciplines, remember that God's ultimate goal for your life and for my life is that we be like Christ. He is making us into the image of Jesus. He is crafting in us every day. You may not see it like a, like a tree growing. You can't see that tree growing necessarily every day, inch by inch. But over a period of season, you see that tree grow. You see the height. You see the, the breadth and the width of that, that tree changing. And it ought to be the same way in the life of each and every one of us. As we are growing in Christ, He is changing us and growing us and making us into that image. Um, we call that godliness. That's the way we talk about it. We're being like Him. And so, um, to help produce godliness in our life, spiritual disciplines are like fertilizing the tree. You know, we can fight against this by living worldly. God's still going to create in you if you're His child, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, He's still going to craft in you the image of Jesus. It's just going to be at your peril, at my peril, as He cuts away things we don't want to give up. And He forces us by His will 
to change through discipline, through heartache, through challenge. But we can always just willingly step into that. And that doesn't mean that there won't be heartache and challenge, but it sure is a lot better than we're resisting it. So with that in mind, let's look at some context today. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing a letter to his young disciple and follower, uh, Timothy, and uh, he's giving instruction to Timothy. Um, a lot of this chapter you're going to know about, but we're going we're gonna to reflect on the first part of this chapter. In chapter 6, verse number 1, the Bible says, All who are under the yoke as slaves must regard their own masters to be worthy of all respect, so that God's name and His teaching will not be blasphemed. Those who have believing masters should not disrespect, be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but should serve them better since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Let me just stop here for a second. This is in this context, in this day and time, slavery was an active part of the Roman world. How do you think Rome, I mean, when they took over, they just, they took over. And in many cases, they let government sit and stay. But slavery was what these people were in. And that's not just talking about governmental slavery. This is talking about literally being owned to work for someone. It was a part of the life of the ancient world. Um, it is part of the life in the world around us um, today in other places. We don't recognize it in America, and I'm not advocating, I'm not saying it's a good thing, I'm saying it's a reality. It's a reality for these people. And so he's talking to them about human slavery. This isn't us being slaves unto the Father. He's talking about human slavery. He's going to transition a little bit for us as he's trying to give us some instruction. Verse number um, Two concludes with teach and encourage these things. Teach and encourage what? Slavery? No. Teach and encourage that if you are enslaved to someone, that you are to treat them with respect. Not because of yourself, but because you belong to God. If they're a believer that you belong to, hey, wait a minute, did you get that? that they said that believers owned believers. Isn't that interesting? In that context, they didn't think anything about it. But he said, if, if you belong to a believer, you ought to even do even better and above and beyond so that understanding that all that you produce, you're producing for another believer, that God would be glorified. This is where it got, starts getting interesting. He said, if anyone teaches other doctrine." and does not agree with sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. What is this doctrine that Jesus Christ is teaching? Is he teaching slavery? No, not at all. He's teaching, live out your spiritual gift, Live out your human existence before God and others. If, what, he, what he's saying is, it matters how you live before others because first you live before me. 
So that's the doctrine that he's teaching. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of Jesus Christ, live for God first. Uh, anybody remember what our memory verse was for January? Mark 12.30. Anybody remember what that says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And, you know, if we just work on that one for about six months, we might start beginning to see some things. So, okay, now listen, he said, if you're, if you're not willing to do that, you're, not, you're, you're fighting against teaching that promotes godliness, that you're conceited, you're having problems. And the result of those that is that from these comes envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions. Constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. Who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that anybody would say, teach, or believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's going to lead to material gain? Now, you know, I don't know. I just can't believe anybody would ever preach that. You never heard that before, have you? Basically, Paul's saying a lot of the doctrine we're hearing on television and on radio and on tapes and on CDs and over the Internet from people who say that if you come and follow Jesus, you're going to materially gain in your life. Paul just said, that's kind of garbage. Now, I'm not saying that a person who's godly can't have wealth, wealth and income. What he's saying is that if you think that godliness, living for God, surrendering your life before the Savior first and foremost, is going to lead... If you're looking at that as a way to lead to material gain, you're mistaken. But, he wants us to understand a very important point. This is the passage today, right here. This is the verse that we really wanted to get to. Had to lay all that groundwork. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He didn't say that it wasn't worth something, that it didn't have great value... It's just not material value. Godliness, living for God first with contentment, is a great gain. And then he quotes, If we brought nothing into the world, we'll take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. A warning, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation. A trap, many foolish and harmful desires, who plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. He's not talking about money so much as the subject. He's talking about where we put our primary focus in life. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Surrender towards godliness. Add contentment to that, and that's a great, great value, great gain for you. Listen, if we add that character trait of contentment, and like I said, I believe this is a spiritual discipline as well, we'll gain much in our life as a disciple 
a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that this is something that should be not only desired, but it has to be learned. Listen, it, I, I think probably in this room and online, many, many believers desire to be godly and to be content in their godliness. But they haven't practiced that practice of contentment. They haven't learned some of the keys to contentment from Scripture. And so therefore they struggle with it. Paul says in Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. Talking to the Philippian church about how they had begun to, to minister to him again financially, meeting some of his needs because there had been a period of time. He said, you were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul said, I've learned it doesn't matter where I'm at. I've learned how to be content. And listen to this. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. You know what I got to tell you? I found in life, having a little is a whole lot easier than having a lot. Most people think having a lot is the easy way to go. Uh, not if you're going to be faithful to God, it's not. Having a lot will distract you. Having a little will keep you on your knees. But he said, I've learned how to do both. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Oh, it's a secret. I mean, you've got you to dig it out a little bit. It's not just readily right available for you. You've got to work at it. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in a abundance or in need if i understand this right if i see this correctly contentment is the ability to be satisfied in god with what you have in the world and i got to tell you in this world today that is a very very rare commodity so let me ask you, how do you learn and develop the spiritual trait of contentment in your own life? How are we going to do that? I've got four or five quick things, and I really do mean quick because I'm not going to expound on them. I'm just going to tell you what they are. I hope you write them down. Um, the references, for the most part, are all right out of Philippians. And I think it'll help you. I really do. If you don't want to write them down, you can go back and catch it on, online and get them and write them down. Number one, you want to learn how to be content in life? Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1, the very first part of it says, Think about what we have in Christ. Oh, there's even a qualifier, isn't it? Don't just think about what you have, but think about what you have in Christ. Because that is really the eternal thing. Let, let me ask you, do, do the houses you have, do the lands you have, do the money you have, do the bank account you have, is any of that guaranteed to last? Has, has, how about the health you have? How about the spouse, the friend, the children, the home? Listen, we found out very quickly in the last couple of months, everything you have can go away really quick. Guess what? What you have in Christ never goes away. Who you are in Christ never changes. He is eternal. So think about what we have in Christ, the encouragement He has brought to us, the comfort of His love, our sharing in His Spirit, the mercy and kindness He has shown us. There's a four-point sermon right there. 
When was the last time you just sat down and thought about the encouragement that Christ brought to you? When was the last time that you really just, just sat and meditated on the comfort of God's love in your life? How about sharing in the Spirit? We might have thought about one of those first, but when was the last time that you really just sat and dwelt for a little while on the fact that you get to share in the Spirit of God? God Himself lives in you and I as believers. We have access to the throne room of God in just a breath because of the Spirit of God living in us. The gifts of the Spirit that He gives us that He works in us. When was the last time you spent time thinking about the mercy and kindness that you've been shown? Listen, stop and focus on what you have. Number two, when you do that, rejoice in the Lord. Because I guarantee you, if you'll stop and focus on that for a little while, you'll begin to rejoice. You'll begin to celebrate. You'll begin, you won't have to worry about whether or not there's words on the wall. You, you, you just begin to rejoice in the Lord. You're heart will begin to swell songs will come to your mind scripture will come to your heart you'll begin to rejoice philippians 3 1 says finally my brothers rejoice in the lord rejoice i love the erv and that he says my brothers and sisters be filled with the joy of the lord that's what rejoice means be filled with the joy of the lord i mean just get a little happy in jesus it'd be all right some people won't understand. That's okay. You probably won't understand. That's okay. Just begin to rejoice in who Jesus is. Rejoice. He goes on to say, and, and that was in Philippians 3 and Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. He's like, let me just tell you one more time. Oh, no, wait, one more time. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Number three. Pray for what you need. Be thankful for what you have. Listen, I'm not telling you that focusing on what you have, not what you don't have, and I'm not tell, telling you that rejoicing the Lord is going to answer to meet all the needs you have in your life. There's some physical needs you're going to have. There's some financial needs you're going to have. There's some spiritual, emotional needs you're going to have that you need to go to God and just pour out your heart and say, God, I need this. Now, He may rearrange your thought of need in the process of it but what's wrong with just going to god didn't he tell us to come to him philippians 4 6 says y'all listen we, we we preach on this we talk on this and we always hang on this first part don't worry about anything you know don't worry be happy you know we talk, talk about worry 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 listen to what else he says don't worry about everything anything but pray and ask god for everything you need he realizes you have needs. Focus on that part. Pray and ask God for everything you need. Always giving thanks for what you have. Pray for what you need. Be thankful for what you have. Those two ought to go together. Listen, if you're always just praying for what you need and you're never thankful for what you have, you probably need to stop praying for what you need and just spend some time repenting for being greedy and being thank and start being thankful for what God's given you. Be thankful for what you had. I think this probably is is the most transitional 
point in this message. I think it's the part that, that we need to learn how to do. If we're going to learn the secret of contentment, we're going to have to learn this. Adjust your thinking. We've been geared to think in a 20th century, I know we're in the 21st century, but we've been all raised up in the 20th. We've been geared to think in a 20th century Western culture, American capitalistic society, and it has messed up our thinking. When was the last time that you didn't get frustrated when something didn't happen right away. I was sitting in the, in the, in the office this morning. Shannon tell you that she was standing behind me, probably laughing at me. I was trying to get the computer to come up, and it was slow. I can remember when trying to get the computer to come on, you'd have to listen to all that noise, beep, 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 just trying to get it to come on. I just wasn't, it wasn't fast enough for me today. Why? Because I want it right now. Well, I need to adjust my thinking a little bit. I need to remember when I didn't have a computer. I need to adjust my thinking so I may be a little quicker on getting what I need when I need it. In other words, on my part, being prepared. I need to adjust my thinking. Philippians 4.8 says, Brothers and sisters, continue to think about what is good and worthy of praise. Think about what is true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Think on those things rather than on what you think about in this life. I, I don't do a great job sometimes of trying to explain what I'm trying to say, so I'm going to let somebody else much better than me explain something today. I've got a little two- or three-minute video I want you to watch from a, a guy that I respect tremendously. I think he's a great um, um, preacher and an expositor of the Word of God. His name is Francis Chan. You may not know who he is, but uh, listen to Francis for a few minutes. There are so many areas in our lives that God wants us to give Him control and say, look, here it is. Now, in this first session, we're talking about stuff, things, um, anything material. And this is, this is a problem from when, when, when we're, we're youth to, to my age, to guys older than me. It's amazing how much there's an appeal for things. And it's one of the first things that Jesus calls us to let go of. In, in fact, there are times when uh, he would tell his disciples, look, I want you to go out, like in Mark 6, he goes, and I don't want you to take anything with you. I, I, I want you to trust, I don't want you to take any money, I don't want you to take any clothes, I don't want you to take any food, I will provide. See, because God knew that we all have this issue with wanting to be comfortable, and yet, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a desire to be secure. What the Bible teaches is where do you find that security? Do you find it in God? Or do you find it in a, you know, a bank account? Or having all of these possessions and knowing you're set up for the future. Um, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, uh, Paul says, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to fall to, to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. So this whole idea of being content, saying, look, I've got the clothes on my back and I've got food, and that's really all I need to be content. 
And that's, that's the bigger issue. The, the issue isn't like all of this, this stuff necessarily, as much as what does it take to make you absolutely content? Do you see that you're totally rich in Jesus already? Do you, do you see like, wow, I already have God. What more could I ask for? In, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, I love that. It says, you know, be totally free from the love of money. Just be content with whatever you have because he says, God already said, I'm going to be with you. I, I, I promise I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And, and so the issue is, okay, is that not enough for you that the God of the universe is with you or is it all of this stuff? And so as we talk about this issue of things, I want you to evaluate, man, is God really your first love? Do you really desire him and enjoy him so much that you go, I don't really need anything else. He's my shepherd. I don't really want all this other stuff. I know that's going to be different uh, from the way other people live, but that's part of surrendering. You're surrendering this desire to fit in, to look like everyone else and act like everyone else. Thank God I've got something better than you. We should think that way all the time. But we need to adjust our thinking. If you want to be content, you're going to have to adjust your thinking. Stop focusing on the stuff around us. And again, not just material. Stop focusing on the people in your life. Are they making you happy? The, your health. Where you are in age. I'm not, I'm not old enough. I'm, I'm too old. You know what? Hey, focus on what you have. Continue to think about what is good and worthy of praise. Think about what is true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Once you've done all that, do what you know is right. Just do what you know is right. Philippians 4.9 says, And what you have learned and received from me, what I told you and what you saw me do, do. Do what I know is right. What you've received from the Lord, what you've received from other believers, what you've received from the Word, what you receive from this pulpit. Listen, I'm not always perfect. I don't always say it the right way. Sometimes I mess up in the way I, I try to live out what it is I believe. So do you. But if we'll walk out and just do what we know is right, we'll begin to set ourselves up to learn how to be content. And when you add that with these other spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, godliness with contentment, you will become rich beyond your wildest imaginations in the things of God in the presence of God, in the blessing of God. And you will begin to look different than the world around you because you're at peace with God.